0: Hi! Welcome to Coffee and Real Talk for Writers, where we get real about the writing life. Writing might be a solitary activity, but becoming a successful author is anything but. So grab a cuppa, pull up a chair, and let's talk. Hello and welcome to episode 11 of Coffee and Real Talk for Writers. I'm your host, Talina Winters, and I'm recording this on Thursday, March 17, 2022. So, happy St. Patrick's Day and happy Purim. I'm only a tiny percent Irish and not at all Jewish, but both of these are amazing and powerful holidays when you learn their history. So I'm not going to go into the history of either here because that's not what this podcast is about. But if you want to know more about Purim, you can read the biblical book of Esther, which you can find just about anywhere, probably with a Google search. And if you want to know more about St. Patrick's Day, you can watch the VeggieTales video, which I'll link to in the show notes. Um, <laughs> it's fun and educational. I love VeggieTales. Uh, I loved them even before I had kids. Uh, and, the, and the story's a little retro thanks to the flannel graph format they used to animate the story. Um, so anyone who grew up in Sunday school will appreciate what I'm talking about and get a little blast from the past there. Anyway, um, you probably noticed last week I was off and that was due to exhaustion and overwhelm slash overwork, um, had a lot going on in my personal life, uh, the previous two weeks and it just really caught up to to me and something had to give and the only thing that could give last week was my podcast. So I took the week off, but here I am back at it, um, and I have much I have exciting news this week, which I wouldn't have been able to share last week. I have finished the first draft of my manuscript. Yay! Yay! Um, this was this is the manuscript for the sweet small town romance, Every Star that Shines. And technically I am not a hundred percent done in the sense that I actually do have like the falling action chapter to write. Um, but I think I'm actually gonna wait and do that at the end of my revisions because there's one plot thread that I need to wrap up that will primarily be dealt with in that falling action chapter. And I realized yesterday, because it was one of those ones where I hadn't really figured out 100% how it was going to go as I was working my way through. It was just kind of like there, and I have it touching in at various points. And it's important, but I didn't know exactly how I was going to resolve it. And yesterday, I did the brainstorming and the research, and I figured out how it would be resolved. And it is going to require some minor rewriting during my revisions to kind of work in the the new ideas I had and so I'm going to wait until I'm finished the revisions and then I'm going to write that final chapter and be done and then because I was writing parts of the last half of the book out of order I've actually written like most of the epilogue already Um, and I just need to finish that as well and then it'll be done so right now I'm sitting at about 69,000 words on this um once I add that final chapter and bit of the epilogue, I expect it to be around 71,000, which is a little short of my estimated 73,000. However, I always add words during revisions. Um, and especially because the last 20,000 words or so, I was writing them, writing fairly quickly, which is definitely going to be the parts of it that as I revise will, will get added word count because I've already reread and kind of revised the earlier sections. Um, so this part's gonna get at a word count, especially because I'm working in that other plot thread, etc. Um, so I actually expect that, like my original guess was, that I would be around seventy-three thousand. I think I'll probably be a little over when I'm done, but I can let you know. Um, it does go to my development mental editor for an assessment and out to beta readers on March twenty-eighth. So that's not terribly far away that's 11 days just did the math but it's all good um it's not a very long turnaround I I was originally hoping to be finished the book by last Friday but uh it's okay that I'm not and I'm not really worried because as I said like most of the book is actually in really good shape already it's just working in this one plot thread and um you know this is just a developmental assessment like I could continue to revise it after I send it Not a problem, but I will be taking a break and then I'll revise it once I get her feedback. But it's like I'm I'm months away from my publishing date, so I'm not worried. This is all good. So once that's off to the editor, I'm looking forward to a short mental break from writing to focus on planning the next steps of publishing that book, Um, as well as I'll be spending like the week or two dealing with other tasks that kind of, you know, I've pushed aside Or not really pushed aside because I'm trying to stay more balanced, but um, I've purposely had them wait until after I finish the first draft. And then I'll be like, okay, now I'll look at those things and get those dealt with. And then I'll, before I dive into another uh, book draft. And I also want to get some knitting patterns published and some other ones revised um, over the couple of weeks there. That, well, I think she's going to have my manuscript for four weeks. I didn't exactly look at my schedule. Uh, just before I did this but mentally I I'm kind of thinking I'll, I'll take a couple weeks to do these other things and then I'll probably start brainstorming or outlining the next novel. Um one of the other tasks that I've kind of had on hold a little bit is overhauling my welcome email sequences. And that's actually uh for my readers as well as my knitting clients. Um it's been over an e- over a year since I set them up because I moved to a new email provider in uh, January of 2021. And now that I'm saying that actually, I think it might've been two years. So I think it was actually January of 2020. I, I moved to the new provider. I forgot to go check, but whatever point is it's time for an overhaul. I've got new books to make sure that are highlighted in the welcome sequence for my readers. And I've also got some new ideas of ways to make them more effective and serve my readers better. And also to weed out, um, people who are only there for freebies before they get into my main list better, etc. Um, a lot of these ideas, I mean, I gleaned them over time. But of course, Tammy Lebrecht just published Newsletter Ninja 2, which I mentioned, I think, uh, last time. And uh, it's primarily focused on reader magnets, but it did Kind of tweak some things in my brain, and I do want to look at my reader magnets as well. So that's something else I'll be doing before I dive back into my next manuscript. So now that I think about it, that whole month my manuscript is with my editor <laughs> might be full, <laughs> but part of that will probably be um, creating a, a reader magnet or two because I do have some ideas that I want to look at. I've just been waiting to decide what to do about them until I have time to give a dedicated attention. If you know what I mean. Um, and then uh, as far as marketing is concerned, I have a book blog tour f- for the Indians tier starting next Wednesday. I've never done this before. I organized this through Goddess Fish Promotions, which was recommended on one of the Facebook book groups that I'm part of. Uh, I wasn't quite sure what to expect. I ended up signing up for what's called the name before the masses tour, I think. It's an eight-week tour where it's actually like you get at least one blog, uh, guest, guest, I'm not saying this well, uh, yeah, like one guest post per week, um, on these various blogs. And I had it in my head somehow that if there was, cause it was at least eight, right? So I had it in my head that if there were more, the tour would last longer. And I was wrong. (laughs) It turns out I actually have two stops, I think on almost every week of the tour. Um, not quite every week because I think there's there's 13 stops altogether but they just doubled them up on on the on some of the weeks and so because I'm actually creating original content for most of these it I there turned out to be 11 of them that I actually have to create posts for which surprised me a little bit fortunately I I do have a little bit of extra time time right now to think about that um and get those made because (laughs) I wasn't expecting that uh and, but that's also going to be a a fun creative challenge for me too, because each blog post asked slightly different things for the most part, and fortunately, uh, like three of them, four of them, uh, yeah, something like that. A few of them were are just like, no, we're just going to read the book and review it, so I don't have to do any work for that. Which, oh, thank goodness. Anyways, um, yeah, so I did create a. There's a post on my Winter's Day in blog that has the stops and the links. And there are prizes of a hardback copy of Undine's Tear and the Sphinx's Heart that um, there'll be a random drawing for for everybody that comments on the blog post, I believe, um, that Goddess Fish is running that. But I'll be mailing that out. So if you are interested in picking up a copy of those for free, you could go check out the blog tour. All right, so... In the last couple of weeks, there have been some really amazing podcast episodes that I've listened to and that I just wanted to share a few of them. And uh, they kind of relate to my topic of the week, which is about uh, feedback from editors. So actually, before we get into that, I just want to read, um, I had a, my question of the week from episode 10 was, if you've been affected by the stresses of the world or just the natural stresses of life, what are the useful practices Sorry, what are useful practices to help you adapt in your business or in life? And my wonderful regular commenter, Brenna Bailey Davies, uh, replied and said, I think maintaining balance on a regular basis helps me adapt. I'm not always good at it, but I try to stay grounded by getting enough sleep, eating what my body needs, resting when I need to, doing yoga, meditating, reading for fun, etc. Even if everything else is stressful and changing, I can rely on the basics to help keep me centered. Thank you so much for commenting, Brenna. I really appreciate the feedback um, and because it, it lets me know someone is listening and finds value in what I'm doing. And I also took a page out of Brenna's book last week when I decided to take the week off of podcasting because <laughs> I needed the rest. So uh, yeah, I think that's great advice. Okay, back into these podcasts that I just think are amazing. Um, so... A few of them were from last week. One was Sell More Books Show episode four eighteen, mastering deadlines, creativity, and that Kickstarter. This was a humdinger of an episode. It just covered lots of topics that I just thought were really relevant. Was like from how women are treated in the writing community to reactions to Brandon Sanderson's like phenomenal Kickstarter. Um, But I especially found the part about authors who experience a lot of resistance when they set deadlines for themselves and also try to kill themselves to meet deadlines set by others to be quite comforting in a weird way Um, and also a good kick in the pants. It was just like, oh, good. It's not just me because I do struggle when I say I will kill myself to meet deadlines for other people and I will struggle with forcing myself to meet deadlines for myself because I'm usually overpacking my schedule, honestly, if that's happening. So, um, but I, I don't know. I, I've also just been, I don't give myself enough grace to account for, uh, other stresses in life. I think I'm getting better at it, but it's always a process. Okay. And Kobo Writing Life podcast episode number 286, writing female friendships with Annette Deracine. I don't remember if I pronouncing her name correctly but this was an amazing amazing interview um I just love this entire episode and that talks so much more about uh, she talks about so much more than just the title topic about writing female friendships she talks about how to take feedback and criticism from editors how to give yourself room to write how growing up in Saudi Arabia helped her recognize the ridiculousness of the rules that are also imposed in the west like we look at the restrictions on women there and because she grew up so restricted and was then came to a point where she realized how, how those rules weren't, didn't really apply to her in a sense. And you have to listen to the episode to understand fully what she means by this. Uh, but like when she came to the West, then she was able to also look at the rules imposed by the West and think, well, also these don't apply to me. Um, the, to, just to see how superficial they were in a way. So I recommend any author but especially new authors go listen to this episode and take notes and I think I'm actually going to listen to the episode again and also take notes because there were just there was just a lot of wisdom in there. Okay six-figure authors had episode 123 which was dealing with criticism as an author and again there was like a real um, theme last week it seems about uh, how to deal with criticism and And I felt so strongly about it that I'm actually going to be talking about that in today's episode. However, I do recommend that you go listen to this episode. I wish all my clients would listen to it. Um, I love listening to the three different perspectives offered by Joe and Lindsay and Andrea. And I am going to go into my own additional thoughts in a minute. And then just this week, uh, the Rebel Author Podcast with Sasha Black... Had episode 129, Save the Cat Writes a Novel, which was an interview with Jessica Brody, the author of the book, Save the Cat Writes a Novel. And if you've never heard of the Save the Cat series, um, the original one was about writing screenplays, but they're basically structure books. And Jessica Brody then wrote the one specifically for authors for writing a novel. And full confession, I haven't actually read either of these yet. Um, They're on my kind of like, I want to read list, uh, but... um. I've heard enough like tangential references to them in the community and just in, in craft classes and stuff like that. I have a pretty good idea what they include, even even down to some of the terms they use for the different parts of the story structure. And I'm a story structure nerd, so I got an awful lot out of this episode. Um, and I'm actually, because of it, moving that book, Save the Cat Writes a Novel, way up my reading list because uh, there was stuff in there that... I was like, oh, I never thought of thinking of it that way before. And I, as I said, I'm a structure nerd, so I'm like, okay, now I have to, have to know more. Um, and eventually, I would like to write my own book about story structure uh, using the methods I've worked out. Because a lot of the ways that I think about story, I have figured out on my own just from analyzing stories and having to fix my own books. And then I now use those methods when I'm working with other authors. Uh, So it'd be really awesome to have a book that I could say, okay, here, read this. This is, this is the thing you need to, to understand. Um, But I didn't start from nothing, uh, obviously. Um, I, and I do owe a great deal to the writers and teachers who got me started in understanding story structure. And I just want to make sure I understand who else, uh, like what other people are teaching before I write my own book, because I because there's kind of like all this like general knowledge out there that I know has been gleaned from all these other sources over the years. First of all, I want to make sure that I'm not infringing on like, like basically reinventing the wheel, right? And rewriting something that somebody else has already written um, or saying it too closely to how they would have said it kind of thing on, on the same token, or maybe on the other hand, I'm not sure which, um, I kind of want to write a book that just synthesizes all the different ways of thinking about story structure because this is actually something that's a gift of mine is being able to see all the very diverse seemingly diverse uh, ways of thinking about structure like three-act structure and hero's journey and um, like romancing the beat is one that I've read already um, and all these different things and looking at them and I just kind of see how they all overlay on each other And how all the different parts of the structure actually just line up and they're just like different ways of talking about the same thing. And uh, I have come to discover that not everyone is able to do that. (laughs) Like I can kind of just seamlessly just pull on terms based on whatever story I'm using that seems to fit the best. But I, you know, like I inherently understand like that the the dark night of the soul is the same as the black moment is the same as the uh, I can't even remember what else is used. Um but like all these different things like they're all just different names for the same point in a story. And uh, but not everybody does. And I think it I think it would be helpful to have this kind of a book added to the canon, but I'm not really sure. So if you think that that's something that would be helpful for you, um like leave a comment and let me know because I'm kind of curious to see if, if there's even a need for this. Like, um, I think there might be, but again, hard to tell. Okay. So going on to my thoughts about taking criticism and working with editors. So any author who has sent their manuscript to a professional editor likely knows that gut-wrenching terror you get the moment you hit send on the email. (laughs) For me... I've experienced huge doses of imposter syndrome both after sending a manuscript off for critique and after receiving it back. I think this is pretty common. Uh, so far, this still happens almost every time I, I do this and it's like not my first rodeo, okay? <laughs> now that I'm also an editor, I wished more authors realized how nerve-wracking giving feedback can be from the editor side. Um. So like my... I- I called the short, the short title of this episode is what editors wish authors knew, but it's actually what editors wish authors knew about working with editors. This is not some, something about all the different things that editors wish authors knew about writing. Okay. This is about how to work with editors. So, um, especially like okay so like giving giving feedback can be really nerve-wracking and especially if you're a developmental or line editor because you're literally going in and changing an author's words and this is something we do with fear and trembling but also um like I tell my clients like everything that I do is in service to the story now as much as an editor does their best um Every editor, just like every author, is at a different place on their career journey journey, and maybe has different capabilities of communicating well, Uh, even though editors are generally very good communicators. That doesn't mean they necessarily, their communication style will jive with an author. And also sometimes they don't necessarily catch the, um, the vision an author has for a story right away. And This does have something to do with how mature an editor is as well, how much they feel the need to go in and impose their vision on a story. Or, you know, even if they're actually, I mean, I believe that most editors are still just trying to help, but sometimes a less experienced editor may not just, they just may not have the experience to understand that they could help in a different way that would honor the story better. And that just makes sense um, because, we're all learning, we're all growing, and uh, that's just how it works. The same thing happens for authors. We do better the more we do this. However, regardless of whether or not an editor has caught the exact vision for the story, they're, they're usually trying. They, they, most editors care deeply not only for the story, but for the authors as well. So even editors that aren't writers themselves know that this kind of feedback, like no matter how well-intentioned it is when they give it or how gently they word it, it can be quite difficult for some authors to receive. And the last thing we want is to be responsible for a gifted writer with a lot of potential, uh, putting aside their writing, our feedback. (laughs) So Especially if the feedback boils down to your story needs a lot of work and it's not ready to move on to the next step. Sorry. So ideally, your editor is a collaborator. We don't say these things to crush a writer's soul. In fact, when I've worked on projects that I can see have a long ways to go, I often have a lot of anxiety about how to break the news to the writer, partly because I've sometimes found out that some of my past clients have been really discouraged after receiving editorial feedback. And I'm not a mean editor, I promise, but I am honest, which... Is something that I value in my own editors, and I always want them to be honest with me, even if it means I'm going to have to do a lot of work. So that's the kind of feedback I give to my clients. I think one of the key things to being a good client, besides fulfilling your editing slot commitments and paying on time, which are hugely important, um, is to be teachable. Many editors have a heart for teaching their clients to be better writers, especially developmental editors and writing coaches, and it can be devastating to know that the work you poured your heart and soul into to help a writer develop instead made them put their writing aside completely. Fortunately, this doesn't usually happen, Um, but I just wanted to maybe put a couple of little tips in here for the authors who are wondering, oh, I didn't realize that editors were this stressed out when they sent me... My work back. So after receiving your edits, like one of the simplest things is just please remember to let your editor know that you got them. And also mention the things that you found helpful. I have sent clients their edits back and like not heard back. And sometimes I've even touched base then later and be like, Did you get this? And still not heard back. So then I I don't know what to think of that. And some and oftentimes they, they will email back and I'm like, oh yeah, yeah, I got it. i haven't had time to look at it or something. Well, like, let us know. (laughs) We're like sitting on Tantorhose here. Also telling an editor what you found helpful, even if there was a lot in there that was hard to swallow, um, shows an editor that you are that teachable client that they like to work with for one thing, but also, um, it shows them what aspects of their feedback were most useful for you, which they can learn from as well. I've experienced just as much fear hitting send on a manuscript that I'm returning to a client as I have with the manuscripts I'm sending to my own editors, believe it or not. I, I get imposter syndrome as an editor, which authors, I mean, when I was just an author, I never thought about that. I thought, oh, the editors, they know exactly what they're doing. They have no reason to fear. Well, no, editors actually put a lot of themselves into your manuscript as well. And they want to know that, um, that they were helpful to you. So knowing that the other person appreciates the work you put in, even if the feedback isn't all you hope to hear, it not only keeps the goodwill gates open between you and your editor, but it also presents opportunities for further communication. So like maybe something they said in their notes confused you or wasn't as clear as it could be. Like it can be sometimes easy to say things in a note and um, it can be misinterpreted on the other end, but we don't know as an editor, we don't know if it's being misinterpreted if you never ask a question, right? And then we could be like, oh no, that's not what I meant at all. Uh, so it's totally okay to ask editors questions about their feedback, and I personally would encourage it. So many writers, this is something that you may not know, many writers, even experienced writers, need to take several days to grieve after receiving feedback, especially if it was feedback that means the manuscript is gonna require a lot more work than you expected, it's still, it's still needed. And so that can be a little hard to take when you're first starting out. You don't know that, and it can be easy to mix up and muddle those feelings of grief and thinking like and just being angry and then to respond in anger at that time. Don't do that. <laughs> take those days to grieve, then go back and reread the feedback again because i for for me personally at least oftentimes after I've taken that grieving time and then I've gone back and I looked at the feedback again, um, what seemed kind of like an insurmountable problem the first time I read the feedback uh, in the meantime, my brain has actually come up with a pretty simple solution that it, it will be not as difficult to implement as I, as I think. Um, Sometimes editors will give you suggestions for problems and sometimes they won't. It depends on what kind of editor they are and what their personal abilities are. You don't have to take their suggestions. Uh, but you do need to address the problems that they point out because that's the reason you hired them, right now, sometimes an editor's feedback has made me wrestle with the core of my story, so I can decide whether or not the editor is right. I know I just said that you do have to address the problems that an editor points out. Well, sometimes addressing the problem simply means understanding why that thing is in there that the editor flagged and keeping it anyway an editor may not be wrong by pointing that out like they're they have a reason for for pointing it out but they can't make decisions for you and your business and if you want to keep something your editor thinks should change you just need to know why you're keeping it don't keep it out of stubbornness because you don't want to admit you're wrong but if you think it needs to be in there keep it I've had to do this with practically every book I've published and I've never regretted the hard decisions I've made it's my editor's job to point out those things that could cause issues. So if I've kept them, I'm so grateful that I've been forewarned and forearmed about the kind of negative feedback I might get from others about those things. You know what? I don't think I actually ever have had the negative feedback that I feared I would. So my gut was right. But understand that your editor's job is literally to point out the things that are wrong with your book. So they have kind of a focus. Like when you're in editing mode, you're looking for problems. That is literally your job. And so sometimes you can point out things that may not actually be a problem for your genre or for your work, et cetera, or for your readers. You're going to need to go with your gut. Now, it does become easier to stick to your guns in those situations once you've had a few of these experiences and you've had books out in the world and gotten the feedback that those things that your editor maybe was like, no, are actually not bad. Um, and maybe even a positive for your readers. But even if you do later come to regret a decision you've made, most of the time, they're not irreversible for indie publishing, especially. Um, If it matters that much to you, um, if you've come to change your mind later or it's affecting your sales, just revise the story and release it again. And bonus, you get an added extra launch date in your calendar that is another marketing push. And so that can actually revitalize an old title. And that's the beauty of indie publishing. So my mug quote of the week is actually, uh, uh, this is inspired by a Douglas Adams quote who wrote Life, the Universe, and Everything, among other very hilarious books. So here's the mug quote I would use is, how to fly, one, throw yourself at ground, two, miss. (laughs) And that's taken from the quote. The guide says there is an art to flying, said Ford or rather a knack. The knack lies in learning how to throw yourself at the ground and miss. And I loved this little how-to so much that I actually almost went ahead and made it up to put on a quote or a t-shirt or something. But then I thought, eh, (laughs) that might not be quite legal. So I did not. However, I did feel like this um, instruction about learning how to fly is a little bit like learning how to take feedback on our work. We throw our work out to someone for them to tear it apart in order that they can hand it back to us in a form that can be, that can fly. And this is stretching the metaphor a little bit, but basically after throwing ourselves at our editor's mercy, they show us how to miss the ground. And I think that that is kind of a a little bit of a quirky way of looking at the editor-writer relationship, but more truth than, than you think at first. Anyway, uh, question of the week this week is, was there a time you disagreed with an editor's recommendations? And are you glad you did or do you regret it? You can, you don't have to tell us if you regretted it, but I'm, I'm just curious to hear other people's experiences. And so thank you so much for um, listening this week and I hope you have a great writing week and maybe go do something green today. I don't, I don't know. <laughs> do whatever you do on, on these holidays. Um, and thanks for having coffee with me coffee and real talk for writers has been produced by Tolina winters the music for this podcast was written by josh rickard of JoshRickardMusic.com. you can find episode show notes leave a comment subscribe or if you're feeling generous buy me a coffee at talenawinters.com slash podcast and be sure to leave a review on the podcatcher of your choice tell your friends to come by too the kettle's always on So until next time, I hope you keep writing and keep it real. Thanks for listening. Bye.